We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson. Hello, this is Robin Jones-Gunn. Cheryl, you found some amazing women for us to talk about today. Yes, and I am so, so excited. So I want to talk today about Susan Angeline Collins. And, you know, she popped up as a book on my um, Kindle app. Like, you might want this book because I had done Catherine. Right. Um, Catherine Beard. And so this came up like, maybe you'd like this story, too. And it was the book is called With a Hallelujah Heart. And it's about Susan Angeline Collins. So I looked up the book, and then I started, as I do, researching her on Google and researching everything I could about her on Google. I love that title, With a Hallelujah Heart. With a Hallelujah Heart. And that comes from a quote um, that somebody wrote about her that we will get into. But interestingly enough, she was born July 3rd, 1851, near Edwardsville, Illinois. Um her parents tended to live outside of the, the cities because they always had farms. And so they had a farm or they were working on a farm. Um, her father at the time of her birth was still an indentured servant. Mm. So Illinois in those days had these really weird laws, even though they were a free state mm-hmm. and they had outlawed slavery in 1851. Um, so you could not have slaves in Illinois, nor could you bring slaves into Illinois. You could bring slaves, you couldn't bring slaves into Illinois and set them free. Interesting. But you, and it's still a decade before the Civil War. Well, so it's a, not states, a decade. It's, yes, a decade almost. Yeah. yeah. And so, I don't know why I was thinking century, but you could bring them in, but you couldn't set them free in Illinois. So you were allowed to have indentured servants though so you could bring them in as employees and they were actually working off a debt uh, to uh-huh. these employers but usually the debt was the money for their freedom wow. so it was just a way around the law that wasn't quite upright no and then how long would it take him to work that off yeah Years and years and years and years. Right. It took him quite a few years. Her mother also had been a slave when she lived in Tennessee. However, she had been able to purchase her freedom. Um, She was from originally North Carolina. Susan had three older sisters at this time, Mary Collins, um, Martha Indiana Collins, and Miranda Collins. Um, Later, she would go on to have Uh, three younger brothers, William, Richard, and Albert. But at this time, it's four girls. So as you probably know, the Civil War started in 1860. She's nine years old at this time. And her father signed up to serve. Now, he was 55 years old. So he was quite a bit older than her mother, uh, about 20 years older than her mother. And he signed up to serve, and he was legally too old because he was 55. But he put down that he was 44. And so they looked at that and said, well, 44, you're still pretty old. So he became a cook in the military. And everyone thought that was quite funny because he wasn't very good at cooking. (laughs) And after serving um, about six months, they reduced him to the cook's helper in the army. Oh, no. (laughs) So after her father returned from the war, 
um, her brother William was conceived and born, and um, her father uh, heard about some land that would be available um, that was um, reasonably priced in Wisconsin. So he moved the family to Wisconsin, and um, Albert tried farming, but the Wisconsin soil was very, very poor. And um, at this time, her brother Richard was also born while they lived in Wisconsin. Susan's father, whose name was Isaac, heard then that Iowa had better soil hmm. and that he could buy land there inexpensively. So the family moved again to Iowa and settled just outside Lafayette, Iowa. Albert bought six and a half acres of land and began to farm. Susan at this time was 14 years old. So all the Collins children were involved in the farm, but they also all went to school. And in Iowa, the schools were fully integrated. There was not the, you know, you're this color, you're that color. That's interesting. In Iowa, and they said that might have been because there were so many Europeans that had come straight over from Europe uh. and settled in Iowa. And they were just very neighborly and helping everyone out. So... um, Susan especially loved tending the garden, and this would become a lifetime love of Susan's. She was had a green thumb and loved to raise vegetables and work the garden, pick the weeds. Um, she found the winters in Iowa harsh, but they were used to that, having lived in Illinois and then Wisconsin. After graduating high school, Susan worked at her pastor's house, the Reverend Jason Payne. Um, she also lived with his him and his wife, Margaret. At this time, they only had two children, and Susan absolutely loved taking care of the children and helping them. But her mother took ill. About this time, tuberculosis hit their little town of Lafayette. And it first began with her older sister, um, becoming sick. And Susan felt like she needed to move home and take care of the family. In the meantime, her older sister, Martha, she had married a man in Lafayette named William. And um, her older sister died February 10th, her older sister, Miranda, uh, February 10th, 1873. Her mother died a year later on January 18th, 1874. And then her sister, Martha, died only one month later. She was the married sister on February 19th. Then I just can't imagine that's yeah. so much loss. Oh, it's even row. more. 1877, oh, no. her brother William died of mm. tuberculosis. In those days, they would call it consumption. Right. But she nursed all of them. Mm. Uh, she left the Paines house, even though you know she was making money, because she really, really wanted to take care of her family mm. and help them. And it was sometime during this tragedy that Susan said she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior at 22 mm. years old. Now, we tend to think that tragedy like that would take a person and say, I don't want anything to do with the Lord. Yeah. But it was actually this tragedy that led her to seek and want the Lord. Uh, Jason Payne was a wonderful pastor, wonderful Christian. He had the um, Methodist Church in Lafayette, and she loved him. He was, he was white and his wife, and you know they loved her family. And something during that time, maybe Jason's example, his wife's example, I don't know. But she said, I want 
I want Jesus. Mm. So Susan helped her father all throughout the crisis. And at the same time, she was still trying to help out the Payne family. But as you know, there was quite a quarantine. If someone in your family had consumption, uh, you quarantined yourself. So in the meantime, Jason Payne had become a member of the Upper Iowa University's Board of Trustees. This is a pretty new college, Upper Iowa University. It went by UIU. He served in this position for 24 years. Now, Jason's father, a man named Cortez Payne, don't you love the name Cortez? (laughs) He had been a staunch abolitionist. And perhaps that's where Jason got his his views and his his feelings and his heart. And Cortez Payne had abhorred slavery. And he instilled this attitude, obviously, in his son. Jason noted how intelligent Susan was. And he encouraged her to enroll at Upper Iowa University. After all, he was one of um, the board members, and he agreed to vouchsafe for her um, and telling her he knew that she could do it. So Susan enrolled in the teacher training class in 1876. She's 25 years old. Um, You had to do a prerequisite one-year course in the English department to prepare for the normal training program to become a teacher. So altogether, it would be approximately three years. Now, Cheryl, do you have the town where that was located then? The the upper Iowa? <laughs> but it was somewhere near Lafayette, not too okay. far from Lafayette, because, you know, Jason Payne was on the board. It's just it, so interesting. My mother went to Iowa State Teachers College. So as you're saying all this, I'm thinking those roots were deep. I, was from that the northern? Late- Iowa? I don't know. That's why I was wondering if if it would ring a bell. But just that, um, uh, the the roots that were there for this kind of education have continued for well well over 150 years. The name of the college was changed, and it became Iowa University. Ha, ha, ha. So, maybe so. Could be. Interesting. Maybe so. Isn't that interesting? That's fascinating. So, um, Susan enrolled in her first year. And this is her first year to prepare for the teacher training. She was required to take analysis, parsing. Do you know what parsing was? Something to do with math? Grammar. Grammar? No, I guess I don't know. Isn't that? I never heard that word, parsing. So parsing, which was a grammar Mm. class. Some of these things I have to look up, right? Uh, Criticism, uh, physiology, comparative physiology, physical geography, Constitution of the United States, school economy, orthography, which is the learning, uh, learning the rules of spelling, like I before Mm. E except after C, or when sounding like way as in neighbor and, you know, way. (laughs) So rules of spelling, writing and reading. She also needed to take history, political geography, penmanship, science, and the art of teaching arithmetic the That's first a year. Lot. The that first is a year. Lot. The first year. She ended up graduating um, with her teacher's certificate at 28 years old. But in Lafayette and in the surrounding area, there were no jobs available 
for a black woman to teach. Um, not that they were prejudiced, they weren't, but the first jobs all went to white women. The schools were fully integrated, but they would take a white woman or a white man because they didn't know how other people would feel. So Susan moved back in with the pains, and Margaret had four children by this time, and she helped Margaret with the children and the um, housework. Her father had since remarried a woman named Hannah, and sometimes Susan would stay with their dad, and sometimes she would stay with the pain. The pains. <laughs> she would stay with pain. You've got to be careful about that. So she decided that she would move to Dakotas. The Dakotas, at that point, you didn't have South and North Dakota. You just had the mm-hmm. Dakotas. Mm-hmm. And she heard that she could probably get a teaching job there, that they were desperate for teachers. So she moved to the Dakotas. Um, Also, she was able to make a land claim there because they were desperate for people to move to the Dakotas and settle it. So if you claimed a certain portion of land and you could pay for it to the United States government and it could be yours and the land was really, really cheap. So she moved to a place called Haran. And worked um, at a place called the Fayette House, which was a hotel, long enough to have the money to buy a piece of property and build her own house. That's amazing. Isn't she? Yeah. And then, because she was unable to find a teaching position, she decided to open a laundry service. She noticed that there were a lot of servicemen and a lot of railroad workers without their wives. And she thought, I bet they need someone to do their laundry. So she didn't just open or start doing laundry. She opened a full business where she was even employing people. (laughs) She was so, so successful. I'm telling you, this woman is so brilliant. Um, Susan didn't relish living in Haran. It was cold. I mean, this is the Dakotas. This would later be in South Dakota. And many of the men would get drunk and make passes at her. And there's a story of one man who made a pass at her while she was doing laundry. And just nonchalantly, she took her bucket of water and just threw it at him. And he went running down the street as fast as he could. Never made a pass at her. And her reputation of like, don't try anything with Susan got around the town. And all the men then left her alone. But there were gunfights in the middle of town. And sometimes the men would shoot their guns in the air simply for the effect. Again, there it's are the no West. women. Yeah, yes, it's and there the... are no women to civilize these <laughs> Wild men. Wild Dakotas. That's why we need women worth knowing. That's it. And there was also open <laughs> prostitution and gambling. There was raw sewage that same, sometimes ran down uh, the streets of Haran. One day, by chance, she was collecting her clothes. And in those times, because you didn't have... Um, Cloth bags, those were too expensive. And you didn't have plastic bags, you know, hefty bags or any of these. Uh, People would wrap their laundry in newspaper. And so she sees an article about a woman named Lucy Ryder Mare. And Lucy Ryder Mare was developing a school, a Christian school in Chicago to educate women for the work in the mission field. So this is just an interview with, with Lucy Ryder Mayer and, and just about what she wants to do. That's clearly a God moment. It really is. I'm wrapping and, the laundry in newspaper and there's the article. And wow. something in Susan's heart just leaped. She um, read that 
Lucy Ryder Meyer until this college was open was offering correspondence courses. So Susan went home and immediately wrote to Lucy Ryder Meyer, and Susan started the correspondence course and kept it up for the next 10 years. Um, she would study. 10 years? Mm-hmm. She would oh. stay. She was so patient. She would study at the Women's Christian Temperance Union. I guess it was less than 10 years. It was probably six to eight years. The The book that I used for this, I had to go back and do a timeline and put the different episodes into it, insert the episodes into it, because she would talk about her early years and then jump all the way to the end of her life and then talk about the uh-huh. middle of it. Um, so I had to go, okay, wait, in my mind, I've got to get this straight. I know, because you and I like to see how it progresses. Right. So it was 10 years till her full graduation from this college, but she spent the first years just in correspondence. She would study at the Women's Christian Temperance Union, where she became a member. So she was very much a part Mm -hmm. of the Temperance Union. Um, And the Temperance Union later would become the local library. But at that time, it was the only place with books. And they had 500 books and 40 newspapers from all over the U.S. And not only did she become a member, but that's where she would go to study and do her correspondence courses. Well, on March 4th, 1884, Susan received news that her stepmother had died. So Susan went to Lafayette to get her aging father and move him back with her into her house. And she took care of her father for the next six months because his health was um, poorly. Mm. And he must have been you know, quite old at this time. When you consider in 1965, he was 55. And right. this is, you know, 30 uh, 29 years later. Right. So he's he's getting up there. He died six months later after a stroke. While in Haran, Susan was a member of the Methodist Episcopal Church there. Um, a year after her father's death, when Susan was 34 years old, she sold her laundry business and house and moved to Chicago to attend school to become a missionary. So she took the money that she had made mm. from her the sale of her laundry business in her house, and she enrolled in the um, Chicago Missionary, uh, here it is, Chicago Training School for City, Home, and Foreign Missions, short CTS. So she enrolled in CTS. Now, the population, I forgot to mention this. When she graduated from the teacher's training, Upper Iowa University, she was the first black woman to graduate from that college. The first. Which amazing. Is, I mean, and then she went on with the correspondence course. So she really pursued her education. Such patience, as you said. Patience Where and she brilliance. can't get a job. They're not hiring. Mm-hmm. She's running a laundry business, but still continuing her education. They said that she was never bitter about anything. She's like, mm, you she know. She had a hallelujah heart. I she can't had wait a hallelujah to hear heart. Part. She was like, all right, Lord. What do you want me to do with these circumstances? Mm-hmm. So no matter what came her way, she had this um, amazing ability to make something of it, you know, no matter what happened. So by the time she moved to Chicago, the population had grown from half a million people to over a million just between mm-hmm. 1880 and 1890. Mm-hmm. So Chicago was pretty crowded yes, um, at mostly. that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Susan was among the first students to enroll enroll at the Chicago Training School for the City, Home, and Foreign Missionaries. She was one of only eight students. And they said that Lucy Mayer was 
really disappointed in the turnout that only eight people signed up that first year. By the next year, they had 80 students. So things, you know, were moving yes. up. Quite a jump. Yep. The aim of the school was to teach and train students with the skills to help the needy, to explain the relevancy of scriptures to others. So that was kind of their motto of, you know, who we are and what we stand for. The school was partly supported by different women's missionary societies, the WFMS, the WHMS, and the HMS. I was thinking one of these programs, we should probably just talk about some of these uh, missionary societies that were started by women in the 1800s Mm. because they really were responsible for um, sponsoring and sending so many of the missionaries like Lillian Trasher. Yes. the home uh, that was in San Francisco with Don DeLidina, um and some of these other people that that we know of. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to talk to Robin about doing that. <laughs> we want to do it all. There's so many. There's but I'm just so real many. curious if at this point, when there's only eight students at the school, if Susan is unusual because she's come from the Dakotas, are these mostly city girls? Are these a mixed ethnicity? or No mix of ethnicity. Okay. In fact, you can see in the graduating class, she's the only woman of color there. But she looks right at home. Mm. You know, she's got a huge smile. Um The book, With a Hallelujah Heart, has lots of pictures, and I really, really appreciate that. And the author of With a Hallelujah Heart really, um, she's a professor, college professor, and it reads more like a research paper. I mean, she got her facts down and did all this research, and I'm very thankful for Yes, we're so grateful for those who have really recorded these details that would have been lost otherwise. They would have been lost. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the lady who wrote the book, Her name is Jen. Uh, One of the reasons that she wrote the book is because when she was a child, there was a star that hung from the roof at her Methodist Episcopalian church. And when she asked her mother about it, she said, oh, that's Susan Collins' star. And she's like, who was Susan Collins? Oh, that's beautiful. And her mother told the story of Susan Collins. And so when she grew up, she's like... I need to know who this woman is. And so she started researching Mm. her. And this is, you know, what she found. And we, I'll just say, Cheryl, we keep, we we add these to our show notes so that those who are listening that want to go and find out how to get that book, we have those resources for all these talks that we give. Exactly. Now, the small school, eight students, right, has 10 departments. (laughs) I just found this so Lucy was ambitious with her plans for this program. Book by book was one of them. Two, church history and Christian missions, Sunday school work. Three, deaconesses work. Four, Epworth League work, whatever that is. (laughs) Five, evangelistic work. Six, voice, culture, and instrumental music. Seven, industrial work. Eight, nursing and elementary medicine. Nine, elocution. Ten, physical culture. So the school emphasized academic achievement and missionary work for the female students. They study biblical theology and historical studies five days a week. They also had courses in economics, courses identifying the accomplishments of women, of course like that, basic medicine, citizenship, and sociology, which would really help for a 
mission field because you want to know sociology, which is the study of people groups. Mm -hmm. So you're learning to appreciate the culture um, that you go to. Susan completed the curriculum and the requirements for graduation in 1887. She's 36 years old. 36 years old. That same year, there was a Bishop Taylor who served in Liberia, um, which was called Angola, and he was looking for recruits to serve in his mission. Susan was highly recommended to him, and they said, Miss Collins has not an extensive education, but she is a good Bible student. Wait a minute. Not an extensive education. It seems like she's been going to school forever. I know, but it's not extensive. Like, there's no PhD. There's no master's. She's not a doctor. But she's been in this correspondence course. She's got her teacher's certificate. All of these things. While at school, Susan had dedicated herself to helping those less fortunate. No sacrifice was too great, no challenge too difficult for Susan. She had been the first African-American to graduate from the Chicago Training School and the first to serve the Methodist Episcopal Church Mission Station in the Belgian Congo. So she was the first woman to go to the Belgian Congo, supported by the Methodist Episcopal Church. I want to say this real quick. The Methodist Episcopal Church... They would save all their nickels for missionaries. Really? I love that because my aunt would have these camps and she would ask the kids to bring their pennies and she would collect pennies. And through the pennies, she supported an orphanage in um, South America, Ecuador, actually. And so that's wonderful. the Methodist Episcopal Church would save their nickels to support missionaries. She also became the first African-American woman to represent the Women's Foreign Mission Society. These things are all just, these are accomplishments. Absolutely. So Bishop Taylor had warned her, unless you can face difficulties, trials, privations, hardship, and suffering at home, and have patient, plodding, persevering, undaunted spirit, do not apply. <laughs> you Let thinking, us discourage you every way we can. Yes. And if you still sign up, then... But I think, you know... We, we could turn this around and say, Susan was a woman who could face difficulties. Mm-hmm. She had lost four members of her yes. family. She had nursed her father when he was in bad health. Yeah. She had trials because though she graduated, she couldn't get a job teaching. Mm-hmm. Privations, oh my goodness, she had moved to Huron yeah. all by herself. Hardships, she had opened her own laundry business, mm-hmm. suffering at home, which meant... Um, You wouldn't feel like you needed to return to the United States if one of Mm -hmm. your family members died or was um, in trouble. And she didn't have much family left. And then she was patient. She was obviously plotting as we brought out before how long it took her to get her education. She was persevering. Yes, that's Susan. And she had an undaunted spirit. Bishop Taylor would later remark that he felt Susan's greatest qualities were her fearlessness, her rugged, robust, and self-reliant, all-consuming drive. Yes. So I'm going to stop there, but oh my, do I have so much, because now we're just going to get into um, kind of the 
what happened to Susan? Because she's going to go with Bishop Philip to Africa. But remember, she's 36 years old. She's older than most missionaries that start. I uh, She'll meet these 20-something-year-olds that are going on the mission field. Um, she's 36. Uh, they used to worry about missionaries going at that age because of the health concerns, sure. uh, malaria, and all these other things. Um, but she was undaunted. She was on her way. And just that time frame. So do you have there what the year is? Because we're just maybe now we're a decade past the Civil War. It's 1887. 87. 87. Mm -hmm. It's the same year she graduates that she's going to be going to Angola with Bishop Taylor. And again, this is going to mean a a longboat trip where she will first go to um, England and Liverpool, actually. And then from Liverpool, she has to take another um, long, long, long voyage to Angola. Mm-hmm. And and then once in Angola, oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, talk about a woman who persevered. She was so persevering and her life. But she wasn't just persevering. She wasn't just stalwart. But you're going to find that this woman had a heart of compassion that I would say is big as the ocean. Mm. And she was willing to work hard. And she got along with everybody. Everybody. Um, There are all these pictures and with a hallelujah heart of her with all these other missionaries. And she's just right there. She always dressed just in impeccably um but she dressed very um she never took on the african dress she always dressed like a woman a woman like a lady from lafayette you know that chicago influence yes and that (laughs) very sophisticated and you'll see her in her starched white blouses and her you know her nice skirts and her hat always a hat so Mm. that's part one and I can't wait to get into part two, but you're going to have to wait till next week. Okay. Um, we will wait okay. patiently like Susan waited. That's right. <laughs> we'll be persevering and patient, too. Thanks for joining us. This is Robin Jones-Gunn, and we've heard today from Cheryl Broderson talking to you about Susan Angeline Collins. Just part one. More I'm next back. week. That's right. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and our new co-host, Robin Jones-Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn.